0: Welcome to the Run Run Live 3.0 podcast, where we celebrate the transformational powers of endurance sports. It is the happy-
1: Well, hello, my friends. We find ourselves once more together to share an episode, episode 3-293 to be specific of the Run Run Live podcast, and it's been a few busy weeks training-wise for me since we last talked. I made the mistake of telling Coach that I wanted to qualify and was willing to do the work, and he reciprocated by hammering me with hard, long workouts that have kicked my running life out of balance in a good way. And I'm still only running four times a week, but last week that included an eight mile tempo run, a 10 mile tempo run, and a 20 mile long run, which if you, you know, if you remember where I was coming from, which was basically no speed work or long runs for six months, uh, <laughs> and this week it's more of the same. I'm hanging on by my fingernails, but it's all good. It's a great way to narrow your focus. I was down the Cape over the 4th of July, the holiday, and nothing really eventful happened, but it's a different climate down there, very hot and humid. I think somehow it's closer to the sun, and that's all well and good when you're snoozing on a beach towel, but not so much when you're trying to hammer out a run. So today, we're going to chat with a uh, local friend of mine, local marathoner and running friend, Jill McGuire Trotter, and I was interested in getting her take on running because I've known her for a long time, and she's one of those people who managed to live her life, have good balance, and train and compete at a very high quality level. And in section one, I'm going to share an essay I wrote on work, get some good feedback on this one. And in section two, I'm going to get you fired up to face the demons of discomfort. And I didn't travel this week, so I got some good miracle morning time in to cogitate on some of these themes and do some, some quality work. So that first week of getting back into the hard work of training was a bit discouraging for me. I'm, I'm heavy, my legs are slow, but I know I can do it, and I believe, I believe that all I have to do is battle with the effort and keep bringing my best work and have patience, and I believe it will turn around, and the fitness will come, and the training effect will eventually kick in. And I'm beginning to see signs of life now, three weeks in. I'm completing these workouts successfully, and that's encouraging. And it's tempting to declare victory and just walk away from the hard training at my age and my ability level, I'm never going to be more than average no matter how hard I train, and I've got nothing to prove. But it just feels worthy to be training to exhaustion. It just feels right. My garden. My garden is coming along nicely. I'm eating cucumbers and chard and kale, and the hops are budding up, and the berries are ripening, and soon I'll be sharing fresh tomatoes with the squirrels. Buddy doesn't like the squirrels. He doesn't like the rabbits either. And for some reason we have a proliferation of bunnies this year. And they are a brazen lot. They sit in the yard and they mock the dog. And they smugly devour my parsley. And I wonder where all the local hawks and eagles and coyotes got off to. They need to thin these bunnies out a little bit. We are through with the nice part of the summer up here in New England. And now we have the hot, humid, turn on the A.C. time of year. And the dog hates it. I can't take him running. He's exhausted by going to a walk. He's funny. He'll go outside, and then he'll realize it's hot outside, and he'll come back into the air conditioning. The mosquitoes and deer flies are out in full force. It's a quiet and languid season. The dog days. So toss your fresh salads, and let's get on with the show.
0: Are you hungry? Here's some food for thought.
1: Work. Work is a search for daily meaning, as well as daily bread. The great socialist Studs Terkel discovered this, and each of us discover it every day. What is work? It is a basic human need. It's a thing that can totally consume us. It is a thing that when we are deprived of it, we shrivel and die. We as humans need to work. When we are deprived of our work, we become less human. We create more work for ourselves outside of our scheduled work, simply for the joy of achievement and the sucker of getting things done. We lament the days when work was craftsmanship. We feel an affinity for the old-timer who bends, smiling to his creative project, turning his time and mind into a work of art. That painted window, that shingled roof, or that written essay, is his legacy and he turns himself to it as carefully as a mother tends her children. Work can be liberating. Work can be fulfilling. When you're fully engaged, body, mind, and spirit in your work, it ceases to be work. Time flies and the work flows from us like we are channeling the gods. When we are fully engaged, work becomes part of life. Work can be dehumanizing. Work can be a mindless cage. We are stuck in a box or tethered to a metropolis machine. We are closely monitored by electronic demons until the life has been sucked from our work, and we are robots. When work becomes a paycheck and a daily grind, then work is a joyless succubus with no art or feeling. It is reported that 49% of people, when asked, Will say they do not like their jobs. That's close to half of us who have abdicated our creative lives and joy to a paycheck. Why would we do such a thing? Whether by circumstance or poor decision making, we have turned into a corporate cul de sac from which there is no escape. When I'm out on my job working with people in companies, I see that it all comes down to company culture. When a company has a culture of scarcity, it percolates like rot through the organization. When a company has a clear future vision and a culture of abundance, it percolates through the organization like liquid sunshine. Cost reduction and efficiency are not where an organization's focus should be rooted. Numbers are a symptom, not a purpose. Culture and vision is the first thing. Everyone in the organization needs to know why they are here and why they are doing what they do. And it starts at the top with vision, and that vision has to be future-focused and a vision of abundance. The good leaders know this. All things, whether individual or corporate, start with intent. Why are we here? What is it that we do? What is our clear future vision? These are the things people need and will gladly suffer the ignobility of the cubicle and dumpster for. For you personally, in your work, you have a choice. You can be one of the mindless majority, watching the slow dance of the clock hands swing towards quitting time, or you can choose to love what you do. Really, it's that simple. Either find something to do that is purposeful and fulfilling, or make what you do purposeful and fulfilling. But Chris, you interrupt, I do not lead organizations or manage anyone. I am one of those 49% who punch the clock and trade my body for time. How is there abundance in that? And you're right to ask this question. You are where you are. You cannot walk away from your job. You have to pay your bills and survive. I will only ask of you one question. Do you control your intent? Just like the corporate leader, you influence yourself and the culture of the organization through your intent. Your intent won't change the fact that you have to scrub dumpsters with a toothbrush for minimum wage, but it will change your mindset. It will catch fire the pilot light of your working soul that can be kindled to a great inferno and reclaim your essence from the cage of work. This was eloquently discussed by Viktor Frankl in his classic, and Off-Sighted Man's Search for Meaning. The Nazis controlled whether he lived or died, but he controlled his intent and his vision of the future. And Changing your attitude to an attitude of abundance is the ultimate rebellion against tyranny and authority. They can lock you up in a cubicle and track your bathroom breaks, but they can't take your attitude away. You need to cultivate your own version of the future-looking, abundant vision. Getting your head straight has the power to transform your working light. There is art and beauty in any job. There is meaning and purpose in any pursuit or endeavor. You just have to create it. The happiest people in the world have the simplest jobs. I'm sure you've run across them in your life. The teacher who is changing the world. The shine who is creating art and the waitress who is dancing ballet. They may not be top executives, but they have found something more important than power and wealth. They have found purpose and art by bringing abundant intent into their work. Your assignment for me is to find the art in your work. When you sit at your desk or wherever your career finds you on Monday morning, Bring an attitude of abundance. Work with purpose. Align what you do with your vision of the future. The hours will fly by. You'll leave to go home fulfilled and joyful. If you don't, if you can't, if what you do is just too awful to be influenced by your intent, then you will know it is time to find something else to do. It's better to walk away than to let an aberrant situation suck your life's joy. You are not your job. This is a very important concept. You can put yourself into your job, but you cannot lose yourself in your job. You need to hold that single light of self apart from the work. It is a tricky balancing act to be passionate and dispassionate at the same time. Your job is part of you, but only in that it is a vehicle for you to express yourself. You are not your job. Your job is not you. It's just one of the things that make you whole. It takes commitment and trust, but you must draw your own line. Work will take as much as you are willing to give. You must decide how much you're going to give and then stick to that line. We only have a finite number of hours in our life. We have to split those hours between the job, the family, the personal development, the physical development, the mental development, and a thousand other projects that draw on that same time. In summary, don't look at work as a job. Look at work as an opportunity to find art and purpose. Bring an attitude of abundance to your search for daily bread, and it will become an incarnation for daily meaning. What's the worst that can happen? Cheers.
0: And now for today's featured interview.
1: So we're recording now, Jill. So you're saying, um, Boston this year, right? It was a blast, but you had a great race too. Huh? I
0: had a good run. I ran my goal time. Um, I can usually pretty much tell a couple months out what I'm going to run. And if I, if I can keep that in my head and maybe do a little bit better, I usually try to do that, but I had a good race. The energy there was amazing. There's always a huge crowd at Boston, but this year it was, it was noticeably more.
1: So how many Bostons is that for you? That was my tenth. That was your tenth, so even more special. Because this is uh, this is an interesting story because you're one of the few people um, that I've uh, probably the only person I've ever talked to that has actually worked with me, or kind of not really with me in the same office as me. Right. So we had this little remote office in Chelmsford with nobody in it. It was you in one cubicle, yeah. me in another cubicle, yeah. and then about, to myself. <laughs> yeah. Then like 40 empty cubicles. Yeah. In this office. And, uh, it was kind of nice though. It was close to my house. I could bike to work.
0: Yeah, I didn't do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but at that point, you were, you were running a little bit, just sort of fitness. Um, yeah. but since that was, that was probably what? Was, 14 years, 14 years ago? I want
0: to say that was probably in like 1999 because that's around the time I moved from Boston to Westford. So, uh, yeah, it was around so that, 50- that time. And by then I think I had done three marathons. Then and then I really didn't I didn't do another one until two thousand four. So I, I ran just um you know, just recreationally. We lived over by the um the Esplanade, so I ran over there a few times a week. But I didn't do any racing at that.
1: Right. All right. But you and I used to talk because I was the uh sort of the nutso runner guy. Yeah. Get in the office. Yes. I'd I'd be running to work and going out at lunch and running and doing my speed work every day. Yeah. But since then, you have uh, eclipsed me. You're you're running a lot faster than I am now.
0: Uh, well, I had um, I going to say 2007 um, joined the Road Roadrunners, and we were fortunate to have Nate Jenkins as our, our club coach. So he, um, I want to say, he was seventh place in the marathon Olympic trials back in 2008. So we were fortunate to have him. He really um, taught me how to train. You know, for a specific goal time for the marathon, and I've kind of carried that with me. I've always kind of used variations of the training plans that he had given me, and I still pull from his knowledge to this day. And I could email him any day of the week, and he he'd still, um, you know, he I, he coached me for maybe two or three years, uh, and then I went back to work part time. So then I, the running, I still ran, but. Didn't train as hard as I had over the span of time that he was my coach. He actually helped me run a sub three marathon, which I ran at Cal International in 2008. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great, um, a great experience. I had tried that previous in the spring. I was up at Vermont City, May of 2008. And I ran three hours even, so I just missed it. So coming out of that, I knew I could do it.
1: Jeez, I don't know. I think I'd give it to myself for, yeah. uh, for three hours even. I think I'd round down on that
0: one.
1: <sighs> no. It, it was a little, it wasn't a little hot that year for months.
0: I think it was okay. It wasn't that, I mean, it was, it was a nice day as I remember it. And I remember wearing, you know, wearing the singlet and the shorts and I, I don't think it was overly warm. I think, it, you know, I think it was okay. I don't think it was, it, I didn't remember it being a factor of that I just think that I went into it not I, I think I went too conservative in my first half because I was nervous about yeah getting my corrected. goal <laughs> so but once I got once I got it I said oh now I know you know now I once I got the 3 hours I knew at that point I just had to work a little harder and I could um I could hit it the goal
1: so so this Olympic coach that you had, what was his program like? Was it a, you know, was it a lot of volume, a lot of speed work? What, how did it? What was his uh, his training philosophy? So
0: um, Nate has pretty much read every single book there is to read on, on um, running. So I want to say he um, is it Canova. I am going to mess up his Renato. Um, I can't think of his last name. Is it Canova? I don't know. let see. So he, I think he largely pulled from that gentleman. I think he's an Italian coach. And okay. I, and, you know, I'm 42, so my memory is fading, but,
1: uh, you're a youngster. He, you
0: young, he uh, I think he pulled a lot from that philosophy. And then I think he just, um, from all the different things he read, he just, he just kind of pulled different <laughs> things together. And what the big thing for me with the marathon training that I wasn't ever doing before, I, train seriously for the marathon was doing marathon specific work. So I would now, if I'm running a marathon, one of my, I do a midweek long run, but it's not really a long run in the sense that it's um it's a workout, but it's, it is, it ends up being sometimes 20 miles where it's like a, you know, four miles marathon pace four times. So I do that, you know, and I do variations of that.
1: Right, the last right. So a
0: couple of months of, uh, before the marathon, and it uh, that is really
1: yeah, you ready it, for that pace. It, right, it gets you psychologically and physically ready for that pace. Yes, yeah. and the the step up runs that I do um, now are the same, sort of the same theory, right? Where you're going to build into the race pace, and then hold the race pace for you know 10, 12, 14, 16 miles, whatever that workout is.
0: Yeah, and then the, the other thing that I do for my long run is I, I kind of build them up, but I do a lot of long run and, long runs on the weekends. Where um, the past couple of marathons I've done, I've done up. i wanted to make sure I ran three hours, and it didn't matter what pace I ran. I just wanted to be on my feet for three hours, and I think I ran 24 miles on the on the Boston course. A couple of weeks before the race, and um, just just to get myself, you know, my body used to being on my feet for three hours. And I, you know, if you're only doing, um, you know, 20 miles, or you're not getting three hours.
1: Right. And uh, yeah, the same. I, I get the same. Yeah, it's it's race specific. I do the same thing, which is it's three hours or maybe three fifteen sometimes for yeah. me, with surges in there and you don't even look at the distance you don't worry about that so i i have run qualifying marathons on my longest run being a 16 to 18 mile run
0: yeah and then like it's really like two two difficult runs for me during the week and i wish i could do more i I don't i haven't even been able to cross train the last couple of years just because of my kids schedule and my work schedule and you know, something have to give, so I run. <laughs> I don't really. I used to cross train when I was training harder and before I went back to work part time. I think I was home for eight years. So I was left in two thousand one when I had my first child, and I went back to work part time. I work for um, a builder in Groton, which is right near your alma mater. Didn't you go to Lawrence Academy? Yes, I did. Yeah, so I work right in Groton Center for Platt Builders. And okay. part time accountant. So I do that and then between my three kids they're all heavily into sports, so something has to give. So I run, I don't cross train. <laughs> um, I barely stretch, which is a horrible message, but I, I try to. But sometimes I just I I don't I literally don't have the time to do it.
1: Yeah, and you know what? That's part we were talking before about, you know, getting older when it finally catches up to you. You have to do those things yeah. to stay in the game. And so it makes, it makes it, you know, like you said, you can always jump out the door and squeeze in an hour of running. Yeah. But if you've got to load on 20 minutes of stretching and 20 minutes of, you know, strength, it just you just don't have enough time to stay healthy and train.
0: So uh, something that I have done, and I maybe do it every other week while I'm training, and I should do it all the time, but just for um, really, like, maintenance and being proactive for getting injured, is I see a chiropractor, and he does... Um, active release therapy, and yeah. he also uses those, um, they're, they're, it's similar to Graston, where he uses these metal tools, and yeah. that is very, very painful, but um, that has helped me quite a bit, too, and I'm like, middle of a marathon cycle, I'll probably see him once every other week,
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And more for just, um, a preventative massage. It's not, we're not talking about back cracking.
0: Um, he does do like a couple of back adjustments, but it's not, um, you know, it's not anything other, more than that. It's like maybe like two back adjustments. And, um, and for me, I think it helps me because I don't have the greatest posture. Yeah. So for me, it's, you know, it helps me helps me a lot, but I've had consistent calf issues. I've always had bad calves, and this has really helped me. And I also wear compression sleeves on my calves, um, oh, yeah. and that helps has helped me too.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know we we were talking before about I think what would be interesting to folks for you to sort of talk about is you've got three kids, you've got a job. I mean you've you've had a job in the past, and you still managed to essentially Transform your running in the process through three kids and, and a job. You know, going under three hours, sub three as a woman is very. You know, that's very difficult, right?
0: Yeah, I worked uh, really hard. Very,
1: and so hard. I think people would be interested in some of the strategy you had had of you know just not going insane and getting everything done while you're you know raising three kids and and going sub three. Yeah.
0: So what 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 I do. You know, every week I keep a training log and it's really just a simple Excel. It's an Excel spreadsheet. I keep it really simple, but I have a part of my part of it is just tracking what I've done. And then the other part is I have a planning section. So I have, you know, I can usually figure out like a week or two out. Like um, right now, I don't, I'm not, I'm really, I'm not starting up my next training until probably mid July, but um so right now I have just a log that has, you know, Monday through Sunday. And I know, um, like, I kind of look at my calendar, what my kids are doing, what I'm doing, what my work schedule is. And I figure out, okay, how many miles am I going to do this? What am I going to do on these days? Um, so, if, so if I can make that a part of my daily calendar, even like yesterday, I didn't get home from work until uh, maybe 3.30. And my kids had been kind of sedentary all day I'm like all right we got to get out so rather than me going out and running and letting them be on their own again like they had been for most of the day I'm like oh you know what I'm just gonna bring them get them I think they got haircuts. came home and then snuck in a run and I kind of knew ahead of time that today like just based on my day that day it wasn't going to be a big mileage day and I think I ran five miles I ran out quick before dinner and back and um like today I'll go out in a little bit because I don't work I don't have to work today but I kind of know ahead of time just you know okay what day am I going to be able to fit in my long run what day so I feel like if you have it on a calendar and it's part of your week then you're you know it's easier to get it done versus not really you know winging it and figuring out oh I'm not sure if I can get out there today if you have it on there and you know it's you know, you kind of are accountable for it if you have it written down
1: somewhere. Is what I yes. Yeah. yeah, I find that too. I find that if you have it on the schedule, then it has more weight. You know, it's it's kind of in in black and white. So yep. you've so if you get to the end of that day and you gotta squeeze in a run at uh, you know eight o'clock at night, you're gonna do it. And you're not gonna walk away from it. If you're winging it, you're more likely to walk away from it. Yeah,
0: you know? you just like you just have to kind of. Figure out what works for you. Now, now my kids are a little bit older, so I can leave them. I have a 13-year-old, and I can leave them for a five-mile run, and they're fine. Um, Whereas I I have a treadmill as well. When they were younger, I would hop on the treadmill. Now I really don't use it very much. I used it in the winter a few times for um, some long runs when the roads weren't that great. Um, But you just, you know, you kind of have to. It all it's each year it becomes a little bit different. Whereas, you know, I'm not doing the treadmill as much anymore and they're older. So yeah. for someone with younger kids, if they're lucky enough to have a treadmill, it's a good thing.
1: Yeah. So I, I don't know if you've ever done this. I did this once where I ran five miles around my house. <laughs> like in my yard.
0: Yep. So um we go to we go to the cave for the summer to my father in law's uh, house and he has a road that's probably uh, a half mile long and that's what I do in the summer sometimes if if they're home and I don't want to go too far I just go up and down the street <laughs> and I have yeah. my my GPS watch on and I just you know but you know you get you get it done I think the neighbors thought I was a little bit crazy but you know oh well yeah
1: <laughs> Yeah, and the other the other thing I've done with the kids when they're that you know 13-ish or that you know ten that range you know where they're they get a lot of sports is is when you're at the game you can run laps. Yeah, <laughs> you know?
0: yeah, you see that a lot in the fields. Yeah. yeah, and I've done that. To, brought them to the track, had them sit in the middle and run. Yeah. I mean, and sometimes they'll do a few. You know, they'll run a few, and then eventually they start whining. They want to go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, But, yeah, you just have to kind of do what you can do. To get but
1: then there's also some collaboration with your uh, with your spouse. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: Because when you look at your training plan, you, you said you'd like to run two marathons a year. Yes. Yeah. So that means there's going to be a month or two months of the year where you're going to the dark place. Yes. Yeah. Um, you hit your training peak where you're going to need a lot of support.
0: Yeah, he's good. I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in the fact that I work part-time, so I work three days during the week. So I have two days that once my kids are off to school, I can get, you know, those two days where I don't have to worry about, he's at work, I don't have to worry about getting those runs in. So those are good, you know, longer run days. The weekends, yeah, especially if my kids are all playing sports. It becomes difficult, but I just, you know, I just try to fit it in the best way I can. And the weekends during the summer, so, you know, starting in the, towards the end of July, I have to um, get stuck in those long runs in again. I'm going to have to just get up early and do them. And that's, you know, I, I don't like to leave my family for an entire day on the weekends in the summer. It's just not fair to, fair to anyone. So I right. can't get the run in, the long run in midweek or during the week, then I, you know, I just have to get up early and, or sometimes I'll send them off somewhere and I'll meet up with them once I'm done.
1: And yeah, I mean, because if you can get out at five or six, then you're back for breakfast yeah. pretty much, right? I mean, my kids aren't getting up at eight o'clock in the morning. So.
0: Yeah, mine still are pretty early. Like today, I think they were all up by 730. So they're still, my oldest is kind of the early birds, So my middle is more of a sleeper. My little guy gets up kind of varying time.
1: So. so do you think the fact that you're out doing this has had um an impact on them and and their sort of worldview do you think
0: i hope them? so i hope so my daughter said she wants to run the disney marathon with me
1: <laughs> when she's
0: 18 i've never really had the desire to run the disney marathon but uh yeah. i think so i think they see um you know they they see that i work hard and they have you know they come out they came out for, um, Boston the last couple of years. They came out, uh, oh, I ran Manchester, um, uh, yeah. city. It was in Manchester city up in, um, yeah, in November. They came out and saw me there. So they know, and I think they, they get excited for me if I run, um, you know, if I run my goal time or they, you know, they love the, any kind of trophy. <laughs> if you come home yeah. with a medal or a trophy, they get really excited. Not so much the older two, now the youngest one. So he gets all the, you know, collection of medals. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure medals, so,
1: so, so. sometimes my when my kids were little, they used to give me the guilt trip when I'd be, you know, suiting up to go down the track at eight o'clock yeah. at night.
0: You know? Oh, there is definitely a big, big guilt factor. Um, and that, you know, that's why I don't really do a lot of races because I, I don't want to have to commit to a time and a place and then, you know, if my family wants to do something. I don't want to be letting someone else down. So I, you know, I really just commit to the marathons and sometimes I commit to a, a couple of more races for Greater Lowell, but I, I don't do a whole lot. When they were younger, I could because they weren't as busy. Right. Now they are. And,
1: um, yeah,
0: it's hard. And- so.
1: Right, kind of and they're balance. not it's a
0: balancing act, and I feel like you can kind of choose your battles. Like, like Saturdays in March, I Saturdays in March or, mon, or in the morning or mine. We do a um, group run on the Boston course with Greater Lowell, and I kind of say every year Saturdays in March. You know, yeah. um, my husband does a Thursday golf league that runs April to October, so that's kind of his thing. <laughs> so there's definitely, you know, there's a trade-off. So Thursday nights, I. Don't make plans for Thursday nights. I won't do a race on a Thursday night unless I get a babysitter. Or now I think my son could probably handle it if it were local. But, yeah, it's it's just it's kind of, you know, trade-offs and balancing. It is is a lot of energy that goes into it. But I feel like it's worth it. And it's definitely getting back to the the teaching your kids. What I've always said was I want them to see that when you work hard, you can, um, you know, you can do good things. Things don't always come easy. You have to work for them. So they know that they, they, you know, my oldest especially I think is starting to really see that in his schoolwork, and he's a big soccer player, so on the soccer field, and you know, and just having the right attitude too, that will take you a long way.
1: Yep, hard work get you there. Hard work, but smart work, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, when you're gearing up for two races a year, you typically get that, you know, one or two months that you have this really heavy schedule, and that. That's always something you gotta sort of collaborate with your your uh, your personal stakeholders on yes, and let them know that hey, you know I got this uh, this three and a half hour long run coming up.
0: yeah they you know it doesn't even phase them anymore. I think they just know this is part of the of our life so they don't right. really think too yeah. much about you know too much about that in fact like the race is <laughs> not they're not really such a big deal because they know oh, mom's doing a marathon, okay. So they, you know, it's not, I think it's just something they've grown up with, so they don't make too much of a big deal out of it, I guess, Yeah. which, is my kid, the, which I think it's fine.
1: <laughs> my kids used to love going into the bus and expo with me when they were little. I'd drag them in there. Yeah.
0: I'm trying to remember. This year, I think I got one of them to come with me. It's a little one.
1: <laughs> yeah, because it was free food.
0: <laughs> yeah. Free samples. Oh, he had, I, I got him a, uh, one of those little unicorn, overpriced unicorn stuffed animals. So he oh, yeah. It was a bribe to get him in there with me. Yeah.
1: So, what, what do you think you get, You know, it's, it's funny you say you, you can't plan races. I've noticed over the last 10 years, the races we used to be able to just like show up at. Yeah. Now are all sold out. Yeah. Right? So you've got to really know what you're doing. Yeah. Like six yeah. months ahead of time, if not more. Yeah. And that's just crazy. I don't know crazy. what I'm doing in yeah. six months.
0: Probably a few days after Boston, I signed up for. The Portland, Oregon Marathon, <laughs> which is a little crazy, but um, I usually do as soon as I'm done. I think, okay, which one is next? And um, I've I've lived out on the West Coast for a few years, out in San Francisco, and I love to get back there. Um, and that's always one that's been on my radar, just because it's a good size where I can be um, competitive in the masters division, and it's it looks like a flatter, like a pretty flat and nice course. Yeah, so, um, I'm going to go out there. I think there's a couple other people from Greater Little Roadrunners going out too. So, okay. and when's that fun trip? I think it's October fifth, whatever that yeah. Sunday is. I think it's the first Sunday in October. Yeah. So I'm excited for that.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because when I turned 40, I figured the wheels were going to fall off. Yeah. But I really didn't see any any sort of diminishing. Yeah. Until I hit like I don't know 48,
0: 49. Yeah, I so. uh, well. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen. I, I can definitely feel myself slowing down, but um, and I have a lot of aches and pains. I feel like when one is gone, a new one comes up, and you just have to really um, try to stay on top of them. Uh, I prefer not to run through stuff, but like everyone else, it happens sometimes. Hopefully something that I can do for a long time. I really enjoy it.
1: All right. So any uh, final advice for people who want to transform their lives with uh, a little long-distance running?
0: I would say if you know if you find things not working for you seek out advice of um you know people who are kind of seasoned marathoners or um join a running club I mean that's a huge huge piece of advice I could give to anyone who's lagging I think most people think running clubs are just for people who are you know really competitive and who can win races all the time and that's not true. If you there are people of all different abilities and in, in running clubs and it can really help you to um to stick with it. It gives you people to run with and um and then will help you with, with track workouts, it will help you to get faster. So I would say just seek out seek out others if you're having trouble with sticking with it or having trouble with getting, you know, getting the goals goal times you want. Um, there's a ton of people, especially in the New England area, a ton of people who are willing to help you.
1: Yep. So, all right, I'll let you go. I'll let you get on with your busy life.
0: Thank you, Chris.
1: And uh, do you have any uh, web links or anything that that uh, like a blog or anything that you want to point people to?
0: I do not. In fact, I just went off. I go off Facebook for the summer just to disconnect.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. All
0: right. Ciao. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Yep. Bye. Bye. Hitch up your tights, because now we're going to talk tips and tricks for endurance sports.
1: The dark place at middle age. We hold this truth to be self-evident. If you want to achieve a worthwhile goal, you have to work. In 1997, I ran my first marathon. I was 34. Three months later, I ran my second marathon and qualified for Boston. What separated the first from the second was three months of hard work. I can't clearly tell you why I decided at that point in my life to switch on the training gene. I can tell you why I thought it was possible and necessary. I can tell you why today, 18 years later, I'm toiling away through a not dissimilar summer with the same beliefs. And you can do anything if you're willing to work. You can accomplish anything if you are willing to go to the dark place and let your passion consume you. Going into that first hard training cycle, I had one very important advantage. I thought I could do it. I knew I could run a 5-mile race or a 10K faster than qualifying pace. I just assumed I could run the qualifying standard if I did the work. I think many of you casual runners don't have this advantage. You don't think running the standard is possible. It's outside your scope of belief. That is probably your biggest obstacle. The other obstacle you have is that you don't know what real work is. Yeah, you say you do, but you don't know how deep you can go into the dark place. You don't realize that it's not one hard workout. It's three months of running at the edge of your ability, running workouts to failure in a calculated plan to recreate your body in the image of a runner. This is where today's measured marathon training plans designed to efficiently avoid discomfort miss the mark. You cannot know what you're capable of unless you're willing to become friendly with discomfort at the edges of your ability. Why set a goal to stay in your comfort zone? Why be so afraid of hurting yourself? Why cheat yourself of the exquisite joy and passion of diving deep into the dark place and discovering what you can do? I look at these marathon plans that take 28 weeks, and I wonder what the heck is going on. And that's just to finish the race at a walking pace. Are we that afraid of discomfort that we can only sip from the nipple of mediocrity? In my experience, most people have no idea what the human body can do or what it can endure. We see it every day among our circle of friends here, where they step away from the couch and the cigarettes and start pounding out 100-mile ultras. The only thing stopping them was the belief and the ability to do the work. The big reveal will happen when you push the discomfort aside and go beyond what you thought was possible. The big epiphany will hit you upside the head like a brightly colored fish swung by an eight-foot-tall genie. If I can do this, then maybe I can do anything. Maybe the only thing standing between me and any of my goals is belief and work. Maybe that's what you're afraid of. Maybe you're comfortable in that cushy womb of mediocrity. Maybe proving all your assumptions wrong and opening up an infinite future scares the hell out of you. That's why you quail away at the first twinge of discomfort. You slow down. You do less. You take it easy. Don't be a coward. Let's look at how you're going to break this trap. I'm going to give you a workout to complete that will show you where your weakness is. Here we go. Warm up for two miles at a slow, easy, comfortable jog. Then drop the pace to your goal marathon qualifying pace for three miles. And then drop it again by another 15 seconds a mile for another three miles. And then finish with a mile jog to cool down. That's it. That's an eight mile step up tempo run. Does that scare you? Does the thought of that scare you? If it does, you're not going deep enough into the dark place in your training. You're selling yourself short. What this workout embodies is all the disciplines you will need to race a marathon. Those first two miles are about pace discipline. Your legs are fresh, and you'll feel like going faster. But if you've done this workout, you'll realize that you'll need to hold back relax, and use the warm-up as a warm-up. As you transition into the three miles of marathon pace, your body will start to show the signs of effort. Here you will learn more patience. Here you will learn how to pace, how to breathe, how to relax your form, how to cruise at race pace without expending energy and effort. How will you learn this? When you drop into race pace, your heart rate will start to spike and your breathing will get shallow and ragged. Your form may start to break as you try to find a comfortable race pace. You don't believe you can do it. Your body-mind knows you're weak. Your body-mind has been conditioned to your giving up at the first signs of discomfort. It will start testing you. It will send you false signals of mysterious muscle aches or sudden waves of nausea. It will send you thoughts like, maybe I'm not ready for this and... I'm so tired tonight, and I'll just stop for a little walk break, then I'll start again. Don't try to fight the signals. Don't tense up or over or try to physically beat the signals. Recognize these signals for what they are, and then put them aside. The key to running at race pace is to relax. Focus on your breathing. Big, deep, rhythmic breaths. In through the nose, out through the mouth. Mentally Relax. Mentally relax your form so that your feet and ankles are just rolling along without any effort or push-off. This is relaxed efficiency. Once you have your body-mind calmed, you can let your mind wander and let your body go on automatic. This is what marathon race pace should feel like, a relaxed dream state where you're efficiently rolling along without effort. While you're in this state, you may let your mind work on some problem. Maybe practice what you're going to say at your next customer meeting in the morning, or decide what you're going to say to your kids at breakfast to help them in school. Because if you think about the workout and how you aren't even halfway through it, your body mind will start to give up hope and these signals will return. Don't grip the workout too tightly or it will fight back. Hold it loosely and it will flow. Before you know it, you will be transitioning into the final three-mile tempo segment at race pace minus 15 seconds. It's time to learn how to deal with the discomfort that comes at the end of any long race. Once again, your body-mind is going to cry foul as you transition. Your heart rate will go up. You'll start breathing heavily. Your form will be stretched. Your muscles will start to complain. All the same self-sabotage signals and thoughts will come again And now you will learn how to run in the grasp of discomfort. When you are breathing hard and working hard, and it feels like you can't go on for another minute, let alone another three miles, this is where you learn the real truth about discomfort. The truth is that it can only stop you if you let it. Sure, it hurts, but if you don't stop, if you keep moving at pace... Nothing worse is going to happen. You don't stumble and fall to the treadmill clutching your chest. Discomfort is just another signal. This is where you realize that you are the master of discomfort, or more appropriately, you are capable of cohabitating with discomfort. You recognize it and you put it aside. As you again relax into your pace and form, this time will be different because you will have to relax while riding the electricity of discomfort. The discomfort won't go away. For this final section of this workout, the discomfort will be your companion and will come at you in waves. And each time, like the defenders in a citadel, you'll have to take control of the body-mind and relax into the wave of discomfort. As you do this successfully again and again, you will start to build confidence and power. As you near the end of the step-up, you start to be filled with euphoria as you realize that you're going to beat the workout and hold that pace until the end. As the final minutes come into view, you'll find a new well of strength and start speeding up your pace to close the workout. But what if you can't? If you can't hold the pace and the workout breaks you, don't give up. Finish the workout after you're done walking or throwing up. Wait a couple days and do it again. And keep doing it, each time recognizing the signals and going deeper and longer into that dark place until you find the euphoria. In this way, you learn that your limits are not your limits. In this way, you'll learn that discomfort is not something to be feared or something to be fought. Discomfort is something to be danced with and celebrated. The root of the word passion is pain. Don't get me wrong, I don't believe in pain for pain's sake or the glory of suffering, but I do believe that the place you will find your true limits is on the other side of the discomfort veil. Training for a race is a series of efforts and recoveries. The bigger the efforts, the bigger the gains. Don't be afraid of the big bounce push yourself into the dark place to find new heights throw off the mantle of self-doubt and mediocrity and discover what your machine can do the woods are lovely
0: dark and deep but i have promises to keep and miles to go before i sleep and miles to go before i sleep
1: that's all we have for you today hope you're all fired up to go throw yourself at some tempo workouts but seriously you draw your own line don't base your self-image on what i say if you've never done speed or tempo training then give yourselves three to four weeks at least to ease into it with strength training and make sure your form is right and do your stretching and physical therapy before you hit it hard Any weak spot or chink in your armor will turn into an injury when you go to the dark place. Your ability to figure out what's a real injury and what's just another bothersome niggle will be needed. And you're going to need that ability to stay with these hard workouts. And when I'm in the throes of one of these hard big bounce cycles, something always hurts. I'm limping around. There were a couple days last week where I had trouble sleeping due to the exhaustion, just my muscles and my legs. And pain is a signal, but it's neither a good nor a bad signal, and you have to figure out what's real and what's not. There's no real black and white. It's something you just have to learn through experience. If you're gonna drop into crazy big workouts, make sure you stretch and warm up well, make sure you fuel well before and after. And make sure you stretch and massage and ice when and where necessary because all the fitness in the world can't help you unless you make it to the starting line. If you have the discipline to do not only the workouts but also the whole package of things you need to do to stay healthy, then the dark place is the shortest path to your goals. In other news, I successfully moved – the Run Run Live website, over to a new hosting service. And I'm still working out some bugs, and I haven't got a chance to back-update the episodes and articles that fell into the gap. And I'll get to it over the next couple of weeks. At some point, I'll revamp the whole site, because it's getting a little long in the tooth. For the next iteration of the show, because we're coming up on 300, so it's time to change our format again, keep things fresh. For the next iteration of the show, I'm collecting blog posts from you, from others, and I'm going to read them. So if you have a post, you'd be willing to share with me. Just send it along. I'm looking for somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 words. Don't give me one of those those 10-page books. And I'm also going to see if I can get some guest interviewers to add some new voices. So if you're interested in doing an interview for me, let's talk. So get ready for Run Run Live 4.0. Just trying to spread the Run Run Live Love. Say that 10 times fast. Cheers. Thanks for listening, folks. I do appreciate your support. Run Run Live is a free service for you because I like writing and telling stories. I also love to meet folks, so feel free to reach out to me at Gmail or any of the other social networking sites. I'm Russell, and as you know, that's Chris Yellow King Tom Russell with two S's and two L's. My website is www.runrunlive.com and most if not all of this content is posted out there if you want the show notes to magically show up in your inbox when i publish a show in a beautiful html wrapper you can subscribe to the mailing list at my site you can find it there and it also has all the links to everything and everyone that i talk to and about other than that my friends thank you for the attention do epic stuff and let me know if i can help ciao